Daniel chapter 1, we'll read verses 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, let's pray. Father, the dominant theme of chapter 1 is your faithfulness to your people. And Father, I pray that you would help us to truly understand this because it has so many important implications for our lives. So Father, I pray today that through your Spirit that you would give us understanding. Uh, Father, again, may we be able to grab hold of this and to really make this our own, uh, Father, because we will not be able to be faithful to you until we truly understand your faithfulness to us. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. God is always and will always be faithful to you. The question is, will you be faithful to him? And I wonder, have you ever thought what your breaking point is? At what point would you just throw up your hands and be tempted to walk away? What would it take to push you over the edge so that you would say, that's enough. I can't. I'm not going to take it anymore. Now, for those who are younger in age, those questions may be, at this point in your life, purely speculative and reside in the realm of theory. But I promise you, there are others in this room for whom they have already had their faith tested and tried. They have already experienced incredible pressure. 
They have had to answer the painful questions as to how much they could take. So when we talk about things like this, I know if we're a little bit younger, we think it's got nothing to do with me. Well, it may not now, but it will someday. And those in this room who could testify that they have endured and come out to the end, they could testify that they indeed experienced the faithfulness of God during the trying and the testing of their faith. Make no doubt about it, Daniel's faith was tested. The question was, would he or would he not become unfaithful to God? Would he remain faithful? What would be the ultimate outcome? And so here's what we need to do in our own lives. We need to ask ourselves this question. How can we prepare ourselves now so that when our faithfulness to God is put to the test, we don't collapse like a cheap card table under the weight of the testing? Now, again, as I've said a couple times already, I want to be very careful here and make sure that we understand that although Daniel is the example here in our text, Daniel is not the hero of the story. God is the hero. Again, Daniel is not. You and I are not the hero. I emphasize this fact because it would be very easy for us to read verse 8 and draw the conclusion that we are to be the hero. Look again at the beginning of verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Now, if we're not careful, we'll read these words and say, you know what? I'm going to be just like Daniel. I'm going to decide right here and now that I'm going to take my stand for God. And that's wonderful, and that's good. His actions are admirable, but I want you to know that even though his actions may motivate us, that even though his actions inspire us, and we say, if that uh, young lad can do that, then I can surely do that. Well, we, here's what we have to keep in mind. What we must keep in mind is that in order to take a stand, you must first have something to stand on. Amen? Say, so did you spend all night thinking that one up? No, but I probably could have. <laughs> See? In order to stand... You must have the right foundation. So before you rush to say, I'm going to be just like Daniel, well, you have to understand something about Daniel. Daniel had the right foundation upon which he stood. You must have the right foundation. Therefore, to be faithful to God, we must rest on, we must first understand God's faithfulness to us. And when Daniel took his stand, he did so based upon God's faithfulness to his people. He did that based upon God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel. And he did so, now notice, he takes his stand not when everything was going his way, but when nothing was going his way. He's lost his homeland. He's lost his name. They're trying to take from him his religion. They're trying to change everything about him. But what does he do? He resolved that he would not defile himself. In other words, he was able to take the stand that he took amidst the pressure that he was under because he had the right foundation. So how do you know that? Well, we can jump ahead 
eight chapters in the book, and we can go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is, contains one of the great prayers of uh, one of God's saints in all of Scripture. And if we won't go to Daniel chapter 9, I'll just hit some highlights for you. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prays for his people. He prays for the nation of Israel. And in his prayer, David early on recognizes God as the God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with his people. While at the same time, Daniel acknowledges the sin of the people. He confesses that they have not obeyed him. He readily admits that they have broken the terms of the covenant, that they have disobeyed God, that they have openly rebelled against him. Then in verse 12, Daniel acknowledges that God has confirmed that he has kept his word as it was written in the law of Moses. And what Daniel is referring to there is the covenant that God made with his people and that the people readily agreed to keep but which they did not keep. So in verse 14, Daniel says, Therefore the Lord, now mark these words, the Lord has kept. You know what those are words of? That's a statement of faithfulness. Therefore the Lord has kept. Therefore the Lord has been faithful to the covenant that he's made with his people in the sense that when they disobeyed the covenant, he would do what? He would judge them. And that's exactly what has happened. Daniel goes on to say, Therefore, Lord has kept the calamity and brought it upon us. So do you see what Daniel is doing here? He is acknowledging that the people have sinned, and he has also acknowledged that God is right in what he has done because of their sin. And at the same time, he's acknowledging that God is faithful in his judgment. We looked at that in our first message in this series. So, if God was faithful in his judgment, then Daniel knew that God would also be faithful to his people in every other situation and all other circumstances. Daniel was experiencing the faithfulness of God firsthand. And Daniel's experience, now please, please don't miss this. Daniel's experience, Daniel's knowledge, let me put it this way. Daniel's knowledge of the faithfulness of God was not rooted in his experience, but in the scriptures. His experience of God's faithfulness flowed from the scriptures. See, we don't want to just hope that God will be faithful or think that God will be faithful. We must know that God would be faithful. And how did Daniel know that God would be faithful? He knew the scriptures. He understood God's word. So the lesson for us is if God was faithful then, he will be faithful today. And if God was faithful to Daniel, his child, then he will be faithful to you today if you are his child. So even as we admire Daniel's stand, we look beyond Daniel. And who do we look to? We look to the one upon whom Daniel stands. God is the hero of the story. Daniel was able to be faithful because God was faithful. Daniel was able to be faithful because he understood from the scriptures that God was 
always faithful. Therefore, as we examine Daniel's actions, we do so in light of his relationship to God. Again, knowing that Daniel understood the faithfulness of God, Daniel could be faithful, and he was faithful because he understood the Scriptures. So let me show you three things that came about as a result of God's faithfulness to Daniel and Daniel's faithfulness to God. Number one, Daniel's desire was to obey God. Daniel's desire was to obey God. Verse 8 again, Daniel resolved, which means that he made a decision. He determined, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. You know what that word defile means? It means to make unclean or to be unholy. So here's what he did. He resolved in his heart, he resolved in his mind to be holy and to remain holy. As I said last week, there are several possibilities as to why Daniel would not eat and drink from the king's table. Let me introduce another one. Perhaps he felt that if he ate the king's food, he would in indirectly be worshiping the false gods of Babylon. Say, why do you say that? Because a portion of the food that was set on the king's table was first offered to the false gods of Babylon. So Daniel, in his own mind, was saying, you know what, if I eat and drink from the king's table indirectly, I'm committing a grievous sin in the eyes of God in that I'm partaking of something that was offered to an idol. So therefore, he takes a stand against the false gods of Babylon while at the same time taking a stand for the one true God of Israel. Now, we may think, what's the big deal? I mean, we go on diets all the time, right? And we choose to eat this or not eat that, and more often than not, eat more than what we should. So what's the big deal? So he just decided to, to you know, just to have some veggies and a glass of water for dinner. See, well, here's what we don't understand. Rejecting the king's food was a capital offense. Say, what do you mean? They would kill you for that. That was an offense for which you could be executed. He could have been executed for taking the stand. It was a big deal. It did take a, a great amount of courage. So he's very, he was in a very visual way openly declaring his loyalty to God. Sinclair Ferguson said this, and particularly the young people, pay attention to this. He said, quote, in many ways, his, Daniel's usefulness in the kingdom of God throughout the rest of the book depends on this single decision. From the beginning in what to others seemed to be a trivial matter, he nailed his colors to the mast, which is another way of saying he took a stand. He took a stand. And when did he take his stand? At the very first opportunity he had. Say, is that important? Yes. Young people, please, please take it from somebody who's gone up the hill and going down the other side. Now is the time for you to resolve, to purpose, to determine, to not defile yourself, to resolve to be holy, to resolve to remain holy. Now is the time, as Ferguson says, to nail your colors to the mass, to take your stand. Always take the first opportunity to declare your identity in Christ and your loyalty to Christ. It never 
gets easier than that first opportunity. See, the first chance is the best chance, and it's the easiest chance to let your friends, your family, your employer, your professors, your teachers know that you're a Christian. Now, I think this is probably obvious, but I'll say it anyway. This was not a decision he made on the fly. It was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. He resolved, he purposed, he made this decision before he was put on the spot. What happens when we're put on the spot more often than not? If we have not made up our minds ahead of time, guess what normally happens? We give in. We cave. We've not thought it through properly. And in the heat of the moment, guess what? We give in. We compromise. We haven't resolved ahead of time. But Daniel was different in that he knew what he would do before he found himself in a difficult situation. Ask anybody in the room who's got a little bit of age on them, and they will verify this. If you don't do it early on, it doesn't get easier. It only gets harder, much harder. So he made the decision beforehand what his response would be when confronted with the temptation to compromise and sin. The question for all of us is, have we? Have you? I would encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to go Google Jonathan Edwards' 72 resolutions and read them. He wrote them as a young man. You know what he was doing? He was setting out his resolve that he was going to live his life for the glory of God. Second, Daniel's demeanor was honoring to God. Daniel's demeanor was honoring to God. I say, what do you mean? Well, the latter part of verse 8 says, Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Would you make a, a little note of this? Part of faithfulness to God is realizing how we treat others and how we respond to others matters to God. I think a lot of Christians have missed the boat on that. I was just reading, I was this week or last week, someone wrote it again about the angry Calvinist. That's a disgrace. Disgrace. How we treat others, how we respond to others matters to God. It's part of our faithfulness to God. So notice what Daniel's doing here. He's working within the system. He's working within the system. He and his buddies, they didn't organize a protest. They didn't storm the throne room and say, say we're going to have a sit-in. No, it had been off of their heads. They didn't pitch a fit. They didn't hire, hire a lawyer and, and file a lawsuit and say, we demand our rights to eat vegetables and drink water. No, it didn't do anything like that. Now listen, we can learn from Daniel because Daniel's respectful. He approaches the person who is in a position of authority with a spirit of humility. He's not demanding anything here, is he? 
He knows this is the right thing to do. He knows this is what God wants him to do, but he's going to go about it the right way. Remember, his desire was to obey God so that he could do what? So that he could honor God. Now, let's think this through. If he handled this situation with harsh words, with an angry scowl, with just flying off the handle, he may have gotten his way, who knows, but he would not have honored God. And how we obey is an important part of our obedience. And I don't mean that we say, what do you mean? Just obey grudgingly? Is that, well, no. I mean, the spirit of obedience is important. How we portray our obedience to God, to the unbeliever, is important. See? It's true, there's a lot of obnoxious Christians out there. They're not people that you want to be around. They want to argue over everything. I mean, you know, you, you, I could say this, this uh, thing here is black, and they'd say, no, it's a, it's a dark charcoal. More Christians, I'm afraid, are more concerned about winning the fight, winning their side of the argument, than they are about honoring God. But that wasn't Daniel. That's not the way that Daniel approached this. His, his desire was to honor God. So therefore, he approaches this man with the right kind of attitude. Daniel understood. He understood this so well that as a teenager. Now, think, factor this in. Remember, he's 14, 16, 15, 16, 17. Daniel, the teenager. He patiently explained his situation His desire to be faithful to God. If you've ever been a teenager, or you have, have had teenagers, patience is not something that oftentimes enters into the picture. Particularly when they want to do something, or they feel that they are in the right. But notice Daniel here, he patiently explains this. Daniel was exhibiting, mark this, he was exhibiting a Christ-like spirit in how he handled this situation. And so many times that is lacking in so many Christians' lives. Peter wrote of Jesus, when he was reviled, what did he do? Did he send lightning down from heaven and burn him to a crisp? No. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten now notice this, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So you see what Daniel and Jesus both did? They trusted God. Their belief in the sovereignty of God was reflected in their actions. It's one thing to say it, it's another to practice it. Amen? And that's where the rubber meets the road. So for Daniel, the glory of God, the honor of God, trumped his personal convictions. Let me give you an example of what I mean. And please, I'm not trying to offend anyone. But I grew up in the camp that the King James Bible was the only Bible. It was God's inspired word to man and all the rest of them, they were uh, uh, full of heresy or came from the devil or whatever. Okay? 
I grew up in a church where it wasn't unusual to go out. I can see one guy, I can say his name right now. None of you know him, but I won't say his name. And he had King James 1611 on his license plate. He was all about the King James. And he would argue about the King James. And lots of people will still argue about the King James. And they're going to take their stand on the King James. And they dishonor God in the way that they do it. Listen, if that is your preferred Bible, God bless you. I grew up under the King James. I still speak King James sometimes in my Bible memory. Why? It's what I grew up with. Say, so is it a bad translation? No, it's not a bad translation. I don't feel it's the best translation for us today, but it's not a bad translation. See? But don't dishonor God by taking a stand. Don't put your personal conviction above the honor of God. Particularly, especially, always when it's not a Bible conviction. See? The King James Version is a personal preference for a lot of people. And I better shut up about this. I'll probably get some angry comments. But it's a personal preference for a lot of people. And that's all well and good. But it's not a Bible doctrine. It's not a Bible doctrine. Okay? All right. Now, I want you to notice something here. The Bible says that God gave... Daniel, favor and compassion with the chief of the eunuchs. But the chief of the eunuchs did what? In essence, turned him down. So what did Daniel do? Did he give up? Did he throw up his hands and say, oh, well, I tried. What more can I do? No, he didn't give up. You know what he did? He regrouped. I can almost see him in my mind taking a little step back and thinking about this, and he comes up with a different approach. The first thing that he did was he moved down the chain of command. At first, he approached the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs was sympathetic. He seemingly understood Daniel's position, but rightly so, he was afraid of losing his head. So he turned Daniel down. And again, verse 9, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. What's, what's going on here? If God gave him favor and compassion, then why did he get turned down? <coughs> why did he get turned down? Now, please, do not take my following statements as dogmatic. Take them as something to think about. First of all, notice that the chief of the eunuchs did not shut him down completely. He never really said no, did he? He just said, if I do this, I could lose my head. See? But he didn't say no. But he didn't say yes. You know what it was? You know what this guy was, don't you? He was a government bureaucrat. That's exactly what it was. He was a politician. He was playing the part. See? So in his noncommittal answer, which came about from the favor of God, by the way, because he didn't say no. He still left the door open for Daniel. He didn't take away the hope. He didn't take away the expectation that Daniel had that his petition would be granted. So could it be that God was testing the faithfulness of Daniel by testing Daniel's commitment? Could it be that God was testing Daniel's persistence in his faithfulness by not giving him a yes answer right off the bat. I don't know. 
But we can learn from Daniel that just because you don't get the answer that you're seeking for at the first try, don't give up. It was not going to be easy for Daniel to live in exile. It was not going to be easy for him to live in a land that was openly hostile to his beliefs. He was, if he was going to survive, he would need to learn early on that it was going to take persistence and commitment. So I think it's a good time to ask ourselves, would we have given up? Would you have given up? Would you have thought to yourself, well, this is, this is a pet peeve of mine, of which I have many. Well, it must not have been God's will. How many times do we use that as a lame excuse? Oh, it must not have been God's will. Well, you only ask once. And you didn't hear no. Why would you conclude that it's not God's will? Or would you have said, like Daniel did, I know this is God's will for me to not defile myself, so I'm going to find a way to make this happen. That's exactly what Daniel did. He did not look for an excuse. He looked for a solution. And I pray that we all would learn that just because things don't go as we had first planned or hoped, just because the first answer isn't a clear yes, that we don't give up, that we don't look for excuses, that we begin to look for another solution. I truly believe that Daniel had an expectation that his request would be granted. Why? Because God's glory was at stake. And what does God value more highly than his glory? Nothing. Nothing. Daniel wasn't doing this to make a name for himself. Daniel wasn't self-promoting himself. Daniel was doing this for the glory of God. And when you live for God's glory, that makes you confident that God will act. And all God's people said, that's right. That's right. And see, my prayer for our church is that we would have a quiet confidence that God will act. A quiet confidence that God will act. That we would all have a sense of expectancy that God will work in us and through us as we live for his glory. If you're living for your own glory, you don't have this expectation. You shouldn't have this expectation. God's not going to glorify you. He is going to glorify himself. So Daniel's desire first was to obey God. Second, Daniel's demeanor was honoring to God. And thirdly, Daniel distinguished himself through the power of God. So Daniel's initial excuse me, petition wasn't granted. So instead of giving up, he changed his approach. He moves down the chain of command. He goes down to the steward who had direct supervision over him and his friends. And he asked him to take part in a little experiment. And here's what the experiment was. Hey, let us eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. I mean, after all, how much can change in 10 days, right? I mean, how much weight can you lose in 10 days? You're still going to have some food. I mean, you can't do that much harm in 10 days. And now, again, we see God's favor. How so? He agrees to the test. What happened? They passed the test with flying colors. They looked better and fatter according to the text. Say, so how is that possible? After all, when's the last time you saw a fat vegetarian? There's a joke there. You'll get it on the way home. <laughs> Probably never. Say, well, what's going on here? 
Well, you know what's going on. God rewards faithfulness. God truly did bless that food for the nourishment of their bodies. God says, you are doing this because you want to honor me. You want to glorify me. You know what? That word fatter really means fitter. Fitter. At the end of 10 days, they were fitter than all of those who had been eating from the king's table and drinking the king's wine. See? That's not the end of the story. Look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Then look at verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king inquired of them, he found them, now mark this, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters than, than, that were in all his kingdom. So what is going on here? God is rewarding their faithfulness by being faithful, what, to them? Because they sought to glorify him, to honor him, he does what? He blesses them, not just a little bit, but he makes them ten times better than all the rest. You know, I, I, again, I, I, over the years, I've, I, this, I, over the years, I've, I've come to appreciate the Berea College students more and more because of the atmosphere that they find themselves in, and I think particularly of Matthew uh, Young. He was, uh, he was a quiet guy. He was a funny guy. He was not an arrogant guy. But you know what he was? He was a smart guy. He was, he was truly an intellectual. He would write things and say things, and I'd say, yeah, okay, <laughs> if you say so. And I believe he won some kind of prestigious award his last year there, right? See? He was a godly young man that sought to glorify God in all that he did. See? If you want a more contemporary example, that would be him. See? God's faithfulness to his people was the foundation of their faithfulness to him. God was glorified and honored by their faithfulness. And I'll say it again. In turn, God blessed them for their faithfulness. So what is the lesson that these young men teach us? The lesson is what ultimately matters in the kingdom of God is faithfulness. What ultimately matters in the kingdom of God is faithfulness. Not skill, not appearance, not reputation, not the praise of others. Faithfulness is what counts in God's kingdom. So in that sense, yes, dare to be a Daniel. Be faithful. Father, I thank you that you have recorded for us in Scripture these unchanging truths Thank you, Father, that we can look to Scripture. We should not be looking at our circumstances to determine your faithfulness. We should always look to the Scriptures 
and learn from the scriptures and see where you said that you would be faithful and you acted to be faithful. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. And may we in turn be faithful to you. Father, help us to not live for ourselves, but to live for your glory. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.